You are listening to Love and Kobo, a podcast about life, love, and money. I am your host, Zakora. It took me a while to decide what to name this podcast episode. The first title that I thought about was 10 Things I Wish I Knew Before I Became a CPA. But when I look through the list, it's not necessarily special or specific to CPAs in general. I feel as though it is applicable to anybody with a corporate job or anybody really with a job in general. So as I record this, I'm still torn on what to name the episode. And I guess you'll see what it is by the time that you click on this. So I'm going to run down the list of the 10 things that I wish I knew or that I now know or that I've learned. Number one is that you are not expected to know everything in your first job. Even if you are expected to, you still won't know it anyway. I went through so much anxiety in my first job. I just felt like such an imposter. I just felt as though there were all these smart people around me and I felt as though I just didn't know anything. And I was so frustrated and hard on myself because I said, okay, you came out of school, you came out of business school with your accounting degree, undergrad, not only that, but then you got the extra credits to get your master's degree to be able to sit for the CPA. You did all the schooling and then now you're at your job and you feel like you don't know what to do. I think it's important to point out that practice and theory are two different things. You can know something in theory, but to put theory into practice is a whole other thing. Another way that I can analogize it is, let's say, because remember this is love and Kobo, we talk about love life and money. Let's look at, let's think about it in terms of dating. And now this may not be applicable to all of you, but a lot of women have been in a situation where in your head, in theory, you know, okay, if if this relationship doesn't feel right, if this guy does X, Y, or Z, I should leave him. I should not be in this relationship anymore. But how many of us knowing things in theory still stayed or, or didn't act on AKA practice what we knew in theory? So school is the same way. I mean, you can sit there and do your debits and credits and do your little homework assignments and pass your exams, but to put into practice the daily routines of being an accountant is totally different. It's just, I feel as though you only really become an accountant on the job and there's nothing wrong with you if you can't recite the FASB codification, you know, in your, in your first year job. I mean, to be honest, I still can't recite it now because for one, it's always changing and every part of the accounting code or codification is not applicable to what you do. You might work at a nonprofit and that's only one section of the codification. You might work in construction, in the construction industry or wherever you work. So when I think about it now, it is absurd to have assumed that I should know everything coming right out of school. So that's number one. You are not expected to know everything. Even if you are expected to know everything, you're not going to. So just throw it out the window. You're not going to know everything. Number two, the ability to research will be your most valuable skill. I repeat, the ability to research will be your most valuable skill. And this, this is also a continuation of number one. You're not expected to know everything. To me, what's most important is to just know where to go to find the answer. And yes, you can look through accounting code and take a bunch of CPE, but even something as simple as Google, Google is your friend. You can learn a lot just by putting into Google what it is that you want to know, Um, whether it is that you want to learn how to prepare a financial statement. 
even as an auditor, when there were new pronouncements for So for example, recently, recently there were updates to the accounting codification in relation to nonprofit accounting. And the first thing that we did at our firm were, was to look for the financial statements of people that implemented those changes early. We just typed into Google, audited financial statements of a nonprofit. We looked for companies that were audited by a big four because a lot of times the big four is the standard used when people are trying to figure out how audited statement should look. So just put into Google. If you need to know a tax law, whatever you want to find out, you can find out in Google. So research, the ability to research will be your most valuable skill. Even even the partner in my group will go on Google to look for things. So it's not, there's no shame in it. You will need to research your whole career and that will serve you well because the ability to research means that whatever you don't know, you will eventually know. You can move on to the next task. Number three, also a continuation of numbers one and two. Even the people above you do not know everything. As I said, even the partner in my group, she would be looking on Google. She would ask, okay, what, how did the big four implement these new standards on their audited financial statements? So she was a big researcher also, and she didn't know everything. And then even when it came to auditing my clients and I'm working with controllers and CFOs, there's a lot that they don't know or didn't know or things like that. So everybody is always learning. If you adopt the mindset that you will be a continuous learner, that will help you immensely because you won't have that feeling that I must know everything. You don't, you won't. And then what you do know will eventually change because as I said, things change, standards change, new technology comes about. Give yourself grace for what you don't know. Do not feel bad. You are not alone. We are all still learning. Everybody has something that they don't know. Number four, it's important to be able to explain the rationale behind decisions that you make as opposed to having to make a correct decision every time. I repeat that again. It's important to be able to explain the rationale behind the decision that you made as opposed to having to make the correct decision every time. A phrase that my older brother said to me when I started a new role a few years ago that stuck with me was, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And I was at that time going into a supervisory role and I was a bit worried about whether I would do well or not and wanting to do the job correctly. And then he told me, he said, look, this is a supervisory slash managerial position that you're taking. He said that people are hiring you for your brain, for your thoughts. They're not hiring you to just do tasks. If they want somebody to just do tasks, then that will be an entry-level position. He said, do what you think is best. If you, given the facts that, that you have, given the research that you've done, given what your gut tells you, make your decisions and do what you think is best and just do it. And then if it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong but at least you can explain what you looked at, what you considered, why you made that decision versus coming and saying, can I do this? And then someone just telling you yes or no. He said, just do it, run with it, trust yourself, keep it moving. I took what he said to heart in that job and I excelled greatly. I got promoted 
within a year of me working there. So it was, it was awesome. But I think it's, it's, I really agree with what he said. And I found that I was respected for making decisions, being able to say why I made them and keeping it moving. So don't be, get stuck in analysis paralysis of not making a decision because you want it to be the correct one. Obviously, if it's a high stakes position, you wanna you don't want to make a decision based on a whim. As I said, you do want to make sure that, that you have done your research, looked at information, anything relevant to help you make a decision, but make one and make one as quickly as you can, as long as you can trust yourself, trust the decision that you made and be able to explain when questioned why you made that decision. And if you use sound reasoning, I think that even if the decision is incorrect, at the very least, they can say, okay, I understood why she thought that that was correct. And I think that you will be respected more than somebody that's scared to make a decision at all because they always wanted to be right. They need somebody else to tell them that this is the right decision. Number five, your work wardrobe is important. Now, this one here was difficult for me. Very difficult when I first started my career. So difficult for me because I always hated dress clothes growing up. I hated it. When I thought of dress clothes, I just thought about the the dress clothes that my mother would wear to work and she would wear these dress pants and then the waist would be like under her breast. It would just these these pants that just look like I don't even know how to describe the dress clothes that my mother wore, but they just always felt like they always were clothes I never wanted to be caught dead in. And so I remember that when I first started interviewing for roles and I didn't know who else to ask about dress clothes except for my mother, the stuff that she picked for me to wear, it just looked like for one an outfit. First, for one, the dress clothes that she chose looked like clothes from 20 years earlier than the time period. It just looked bad and I just felt as though, I never felt as though I could look feminine or look beautiful or, or look I could look the way that I wanted to while wearing professional clothing. I always felt as though I looked the best in jeans or just regular outside clothes. I hated dressed up clothes because I didn't know how to look nice in them. Now with Pinterest and YouTube, when people have their what I wore to work this week and things like that, and also just having the different sizes, like their plus size channels and curvy girl channels and all these different things you can you can see how women with various different shapes wear their clothes to work and so that helps to pick outfits because before I only had the outfits that my mother wore which I didn't want to wear or there would be these size one girls of different ethnicities whose shapes look nothing like mine and so when I tried to wear those clothes they didn't look right so if I tried to wear a pencil skirt it looked like I was going to the club because there was booty everywhere so it's just that it was just hard because I felt as though whatever I wore, professional clothes just didn't look right for me in my eyes. I struggled because I, I was wearing more casual clothes than I needed to in the workplace just because I just really didn't know what else to wear. I found that dress pants, a lot of the dress pants, they would be too tight in the stomach area. So I ended up wearing like stretch, like black. I ended up wearing black pants that were pretty much jeggings that at the very least could fit around the circumference of my stomach. And then I will wear dress clothes and things like that on top of that. But I never really, never really considered dress clothes to be an investment. I just always tried to avoid the need to wear them. And somehow 
And that's the grace of God. Somehow I still made it in my career to the different roles that I've had. But I wish that I took time at the start of my career to really, whether it was just to go to a Nordstrom or whatever and just try on different dress clothes and see what looked right on me instead of just saying, okay, these are what the girls in my office are wearing, even though their bodies look nothing like mine. Let me just try to wear exactly what they wear and or just pick the frumpy clothing that my mother wanted me to wear, which also looked terrible. So I, I think for many, for many of my working years, I just felt hideous and I felt uncomfortable in my clothing because I just couldn't find anything that looked right on me. And then I felt that I looked unprofessional in relation to my counterparts. Things lay different on, on a Nigerian girl's body than an Asian girl's body than a Caucasian girl's body and X, Y, and Z. So it just depends on how your figure is. But now I've got I've gotten a better handle on the clothes that work for me. And I really attribute that to things like Pinterest and YouTube videos and just seeing other professionals that actually look like me and saw how they presented themselves at work. Number six, it's worth it to get a professional headshot for your LinkedIn page. This is this may be a no-brainer for some, but I think it's worth mentioning. While a professional headshot may be expensive, you only have to take it once and you don't really have to update it that often. I updated mine recently after not having updated it for about three years. The one thing I like about the professional headshot as opposed to the pictures that your job may take for you is that at least with a professional headshot, you can make sure that it's a picture that you like. When I started my most recent job, on the first day they took a picture of me. It was, uh, the background was all white and I just looked horrible, it was terrible. And they had used that image to show everyone that I was the new employee. And I just said, oh my gosh, anyone that sees this terrible picture is just gonna think I look just just ugly. Like it was just, it was bad. It was like a crusty picture, like it was, it was disgusting. So luckily I had my headshot on hand well, not on hand, but you know, in my email or whatever. So I emailed it to the HR marketing, whatever department it was. And I said, Hey, can you use this headshot going forward? So I had a picture that I knew I liked and that I thought best represented how I looked. And I used that and I used that picture going forward. And for any type of proposals to clients, I always made sure that that picture was used. So definitely invest in a professional headshot and one that you like and use it for LinkedIn or any type of other professional situation. Number seven, it's important to set the standard of what you will and won't do from the beginning of your time or tenure at a job. For example, saying no to some working events so that there's no expectation that you will be at every event or even telling them that, okay, on Thursday I have choir practice or on Fridays I do this. Whatever it is that is important to you that you must do, make sure that you do it from the very beginning because if you're somebody that goes to every event, then the one time you don't want to go or the one time you can't go, either you're going to feel guilty or people might look at you away for you not going because the expectation is that you always go. And I've had a lot of my colleagues struggle with this when they don't want to go to something or they feel pressure, but the pressure is self-imposed because they're the ones that set the standard that they sh- that they will be at everything. I have made it a point at all times to show up to things I want to and, and not, and just kind of, for lack of better words, keep them guessing. So there's never an expectation that I'll always be at anything, but they know that I will show up and support when it's an important event or that, or just at some time during the year, they know that they'll see my face at company events and also... I had, I used to be in my church choir and I had practice every Thursday. And from the beginning I said, Hey, 
actually, even as far back as my interview, I let them know that I liked singing. So that was kind of already established before I even started the job. But I let them know on Thursday, I have, on Thursday, I have choir practice. And of course, I made sure, as you should with any job, that whether you leave early, that you always get your work done. So that was another thing. I also set the expectation that whether I was working from home, whether I had to leave early for a doctor's appointment, whatever it was, that my work was going to be done and that they would get the same standard of work no matter what. So that way, when it came to me having to leave for choir practice, when it came to me missing out on certain events, it didn't matter because they know I do my work and they also knew that I was a team player and that I cared about the company events and whatever standard it is that you want to maintain at your job, that's what you need to set from the beginning. Number eight, if you want to become a licensed CPA earlier, in your career that you take the exam, the better. So this was something that I actually did because of the advice that I had received from other professionals, even when I was still in business school, because I remember even the professor said to take the exam as soon as you could, because he always said that the further you get into your career, the more busy that you will be. Even if you feel that you're busy at the beginning of your career, it's probably still the least busy that you will be depending on, of course, if you specialize or go into industry or whatever. But regardless, you will most likely be less busy as an entry-level staff than you would be as a manager. So if you can knock that CPA exam out of the way, just do it. Get it done so you don't even have to think about it later in your career. I, I sat for and passed the CPA exam within a year of me graduating from college and even though I had, even though I left public accounting for six years, I made sure I kept the license active. I didn't know at the time that I, that I would return to public accounting, and it was perfect that I had already had my license, and perfect that I kept it active. So it was one less thing to think about, and that helped me in terms of salary when it came to negotiating job offers because I was a licensed CPA. And then when I came back to public accounting, a lot of my peers there were just trying to sit for the exam. There were people that could not be promoted to another level. They couldn't go from, say, supervisor to manager. They didn't have their CPA license. And so they're sitting there with kids and spouses and all these other things in their life trying to find time to study for the CPA exam. If you are an accountant listening to this and you don't have your CPA and you want to get, you don't have your CPA license and you want to get it and you're just starting out your career, definitely get it out of the way if you can. And now a bonus item, so I guess I will call this number 8A, is that even if you're deep into your career and you miss that early window that I just mentioned to just get out of the way, don't let that deter you from sitting for the exam later if it's something that you feel that you need to push your career along or take it to the next level. So yes, it would be ideal to get it done early, but if you can't, it's still worth doing if you think that having the licenses will be valuable to you. Number nine, you can still have a rewarding career even if you're unable to find a mentor. So this was hard for me because I had heard so much in business school and at all these professional events about how important it was to have either a sponsor or a mentor in your career. And all these women talked about how that that made or broke their career and just how It was so important to have one. So from the beginning of my career, I just said, okay, I have to find a mentor. I mean, if this is what I need to to excel, I want to get one. And so they talked about 
networking and, you know, and kind of organically finding a mentor. And I tried to do all those things. I was part of my, and still am part of my space society. I was part of all these groups and I was trying to find, I was trying to find a mentor, which to me was just difficult to find. Like, I just, I don't know why. And so I started to feel discouraged because when I left public accounting and worked in industry, I had a small office. I, I worked with a team of pretty much four other people. So I went from a large firm to a small company that had a, in a business office of four people. So there was no one in there to mentor me. I just kept having that record in my mind playing, saying that you need a mentor or a sponsor, a mentor or a sponsor to make it as a professional woman. A few years into my career, I had went to a state society event and I met a guy there. Not only was this man, I want to say the CFO of an organization. He was also a fellow Nigerian. So I said, wow, this is great. I find somebody that shares the same culture as me. He's been in this career for about, I think, 30 years at this time. And he approached me at the event saying that he would want to mentor me. I want to say that we had went to the same breakout event and like one of the, one of the CPE events at the, at the society convention. We met there. And so I was just so excited saying, could God answer my prayers? He finally paired me with a mentor. This is perfect. So I found this strange during the convention, he kept suggesting that I hang out in his room after the event. And so I, I, I didn't want to read too much into it because I said, okay, because I said, okay, this guy is grown. I want to say he said he had a wife and kids. He was probably like in his fifties at the time. And then also at the event, once they had continuing education classes from pretty much 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at this convention. It was a three or four day convention. And then after 5 p.m., everyone pretty much returned to their hotel rooms or went to, you know, out on the town. So I figured that maybe he was asking me to come to the room because after the events, there was really nowhere else to go but your room unless you were to go out drinking. So I, I didn't want to read into it that, oh, he's trying to hit on me because he didn't, he wasn't necessarily acting weird. It was, the only weird thing was that he suggested his room. So I pretty much shut that down. I didn't go to his room. I just said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow at, at tomorrow's events or during tomorrow's lunch. I kept trying to make sure that I met with him in public areas because I said, okay, even in the event that he is trying to come on to me or whatever he's trying to trying to do, let me control this situation by establishing what the expectation is so that even if, because I, this is how I feel with guys. I feel like men will see how far they can go and that they'll act according to what the woman allows. So I said, okay, even if this man's trying to hit on me, I'm not going to go to his room. I'm going to establish that I'm going to keep a professional. And this way he knows that when it comes to me, if he wants to mentor me or whatever happens, that it's going to be a platonic and professional type of relationship. So I just kept meeting him in public places during the convention and that was fine. Another thing I learned that I thought was going to make him the perfect mentor is that he lived near my city. I think I want to say he lived in the next town over. So I said, well, this is great because after this convention, we could still keep in touch. So we agreed to keep in touch. And then I want to say a month after the convention, he checked in to see how my career was going. He again reiterated that he was willing to be a mentor. So I said, great, because at that time, I was thinking about leaving my job. I figured I would pick his brain about where my career could go, like what the possibilities were. So I told him that, yeah, I actually did need some career advice. He suggested that we meet for dinner. So I met him again at a public place. I gave him the gist of what I had done in my career so far, 
what I needed help with and things of that nature. So we actually had a really good conversation. He gave me some really good tips. And so I said, well, this is great. He seemed regular. We're in a public place. It's cool. And then right as the dinner ended and we were about to go to our separate cars, he said, next time we can meet at your house. And I'm thinking in my head, like, I didn't offer up my house, so why can't we again meet and have dinner? Like, hmm. No, I said, mm, I think we can meet again for dinner next time. And so I just kind of laughed it off. And so I want to say we met like two or three more times again in a public place. Every time he suggested that the next time we meet, it should be at my house. And I kept shutting it down again. Like, how do you invite yourself to somebody's house? So, and I guess he got frustrated that I always wanted to meet publicly. Eventually, he just stopped answering my communications. And then funny enough, two years later, I was at the convent, that convention again, because it's an annual convention. I, I saw my mentor, quote unquote, walking with this other young lady and I over, overheard him saying, yeah, I'm a CEO and, and I can mentor you. And he was, I heard him say, you come, you should come by my room later. And I just shook my head and said, wow, this is what this guy does. That's the closest I got to an official mentor. Probably the person that had the biggest impact on my career was my brother. My brother has a Harvard MBA, but even before that, he's always had an entrepreneurial spirit and has always been very professional. So he gave me a lot of advice just about navigating corporate America. A lot of my career has been trial and error with, with me just making decisions that I thought were the best at that time. So for example, me leaving public accounting after only one year, the traditional suggestions and advice that one would receive going into public accounting is to stay until you make manager. And that's not what I wanted to do. I know that they were saying that if you leave before you're a manager, that you can only get other staff accountant roles and that that you if you at least stay to senior, you could leave and get a senior accountant role somewhere else and, and so on and so forth. But less than a year into my first year in a big four accounting firm, I got an offer to be a senior accountant. So I left and I took what I thought was a good opportunity and then after I worked for that nonprofit, I decided to go back to public accounting again. I don't know that a mentor would have told me to take the path that I took, but it's still one that I found to be rewarding and the choices were all my own. And finally, number 10 is that your career is in your own hands. And I would hate, I would hate when I would hear this at different accounting events at the start of my career, because I just thought that that was a cop out for employers not investing in you and helping you with your career. When I think about it, it's safer in your own hands because if you work for an employer, their best interest is what is, is in mind. It has a better chance of going in a direction that you want it to when you're the one calling the shots. So when I was at the nonprofit and I said, you know what, I want to be a controller one day and there's certain skills that I need to become a controller that I cannot do with this job. I need to go find how I'm going to get it. And so that was ultimately why I decided to return to public accounting to close the gap that I perceived in my skills and and to ultimately become a controller, which I am now. But I know 100% that if I never left my last job, but more likely than not, I would still be a, an, a, an assistant controller today. And I would still have that gap in skills, but I'm glad that I took my career into my hands and took a chance on myself to get my career to where I wanted it to go. Don't leave your career up to chance, up to someone else's timeline, or up to someone else's direction for you. So those are the 10 things that I learned in my career, wish I knew when I started my career. Of course, this is not an exhaustive list, 
but these are the 10 that popped up in my mind when I sat and reflected on things that I have learned and wanted to share. I will see you in the next episode. If you have any topics that you would like me to discuss or any questions that you would want me to answer in upcoming episodes, send an email to loveandkobo at gmail.com. That's L-O-V-E-A-N-D-K-O-B-O at gmail.com. All right, later.